30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard You know how sometimes when you're dreaming, you'll move from one dream to the next, and there's no clear transition. It's like one minute you're in a math competition in a house that's sort of like, but not quite, the house you lived in after college. And then the next thing you know, you're driving a pizza delivery car with Ray Romano. And there's no closure on the first dream. I mean, what happened? Did you even win the math competition? Well, that's how I feel about the last couple months. This spring's nationwide shelter-in-place was unprecedented. But it was actually pretty certain. Each morning, I was certain I wouldn't be leaving the house that day, and I was equally certain that most of the people I knew wouldn't be either. There was a clear sense of going through a thing together, even though that feeling wasn't fully accurate, as doctors, COVID patients, essential workers, and many others lived through a very different experience than watching Netflix and making sourdough bread. But I digress. About a month ago, the strict shelter-in-place was starting to wane. I was getting ready to move out of New York and start a new life in Louisville, and it felt like a good time to put some punctuation on the end of this weird period. I even recorded a whole podcast episode doing precisely that, declaring an end to the series of quarantine transmissions. And then the police murdered George Floyd. Protesters took to the streets, and everything changed. Suddenly, we were in a new dream, very different from the domestic routines of shelter-in-place, a dream that was actually America waking up to the racist nightmare hidden beneath its glossy, idealized self-image. The agitation and angst bottled up as our normal lives were put on pause suddenly burst forth, now a directed force seeking to topple power structures and create real change. It felt revolutionary. A few years ago, I read an article about a theory by the Stanford sociologist Mark Granovetter. Like many sociologists before him, Granovetter was interested in the behavior of crowds, situations like mobs and riots where individual norms and patterns of behavior fail to adequately explain the actions of a group. Previous theorists had talked about the madness of crowds and group mind, but Granovetter had a different idea. He introduced the concept of thresholds, a mathematical way to understand each individual's tolerance for a certain behavior and how that is influenced by the actions of those around them. In his most famous example, Granovetter discusses riots. If you imagine a hypothetical group of a hundred people milling about a town square, each has a different threshold for rioting. Someone with a threshold of zero is going to riot no matter what, even if no one else joins. They're grabbing that brick and it's going through that window. But the person next to them, with a threshold of one, won't be the first. But as soon as someone else throws a brick and breaks glass, they'll join in. 
Other folks might have a threshold of 2, 25, 30, 69, and so on, all the way up to 100, the person who won't partake in the riot unless literally everyone else around them is already rioting. It's an interesting model because it doesn't rely on citing some essential characteristic about the makeup or individual values of a crowd to explain their behavior. For example, imagine a group of 100 where everyone has a different threshold. One person is zero, the next is one, all the way up to 99. That group will riot since zero triggers one who triggers two and it dominoes all the way up. But then imagine that exact same group, but instead of a one, you have two twos. Now when zero throws a brick, there's no one for them to trigger and the riot never breaks out. It's just a lone incident in a crowd of peaceful protesters. But if you compared them with the rioting group, you'd see 99% of the individuals are identical. While the messy real-world implications of Granovetter's model have played out on the streets of countless American cities in the last month, I think this model also explains what's happening among the non-protesters. People's thresholds have changed, and a new cascade is occurring among people who think fundamental change is now needed. Some people's threshold has been at zero for a long time, as they've actively worked and organized to foment a revolution. While others were higher, and they're only just now hitting the point where they'll watch a documentary and think critically about their own white supremacy, but still refuse to be tear-gassed by police at a demonstration. You can think about a population as a picture, made up of individual pixels. Revolution is a new image, envisioned by activists and radicals, but requiring critical mass to come into being. The strongest, brightest pixels are in the center, in the streets, but more and more pixels are changing, whether that's Facebook profile photos or hearts and minds, as the notion of revolution edges closer to reality. Which is why I wanted to flip this podcast pixel and dive deep into a discussion about revolutions. How they happen, what it takes, and what it results in. And magically, one of the few folks I know in Louisville happens to be a history-loving ex-New Yorker, writer-slash-producer, currently writing a film about revolution. So for my first live, socially distanced, not quite face-to-face, but at least in the same physical space interview since the beginning of March, I'm thrilled to chat with Felipe Diepa, a former child actor who voiced Diego on Dora the Explorer, and has gone on to write and produce numerous films, most recently as a founding member of the production company Mythology Pictures. Felipe's in-progress film, tentatively titled Crumble, is about a revolutionary uprising in contemporary America based on Felipe's meticulous research into the revolutions of Russia, France, the American colonies, Tunisia, and more. So let's bring power into our pixels now, as together we learn how to start a revolution. Oh my fucking God. Felipe, welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you. <laughs> it is so awesome to be sitting in person with another human being holding a microphone. I can't even tell you how much this means to me right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're like five feet apart. Oh, yeah, six good, feet. Definitely. Good, we're definitely yeah. six feet apart. Six feet apart. <laughs> solid six feet. And yeah, we're, we're going mask off for sound quality, but this is this feels good. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So what's our magic word going to be? Pizza. 
Pizza. Yeah. Great. All right. One, two, three. Pizza. <laughs> now I'm gonna ask why pizza. I say it a lot. I I I think actually in in all the craziness that's happened recently, it's like the thing I miss the most about New York, where I don't even live anymore. But like I me want, neither. <laughs> yeah, you neither. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. I want a pizza so damn badly, like a real pizza. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like pizza is really uh, mystic because it's sort of Trinitarian. One, it's triangle shaped. Mm -hmm. And then two, it's bringing together like flour and tomatoes and milk or cheese into this thing that like is so perfect. Is it's, it's its own plate. And I, I used to, for a long time, think of, p there was a dollar pizza place in New York. There's several. Yeah. And I used two to bros. Two bros. Yeah. Two bros is like, you know. It's, it's pretty good. Classic. It's pretty good, honestly. <laughs> and I used to always think of things in terms of how many dollar slices I could get. So if a car was like, wanted to buy a used car for $4,000, like I thought of it as $4,000 slices of pizza. Right. Yeah. So pizza as like a building block of the economy I feel like puts a lot of things in perspective. And it's, you know, we're going to talk about revolution today. And it's interesting to think about like Marie Antoinette famously said, or supposedly, supposedly said, yeah. you know, let them eat cake. But I remember when the pandemic was really kicking off that I, that we had internet problems at home. Like mm -hmm. I was trying to work from home and then our internet was not working. And I was like, Oh, as crazy as this pandemic is, if the internet stopped working right now, shit would be, way yeah. way more intense like if yeah. the internet was just down for everybody that would be crazy and i bet if like somehow there was a pizza shortage it would also fuck shit up oh if there was a pizza shortage if there is a pizza shortage in your country yeah i would suggest that that is uh that is the rot that needs to get fixed before <laughs> anything happens yeah because you know? if you have because because it, it might mean that you have a tomato shortage mm -hmm. it might mean if you have a shortage of anything that makes up a pizza Things are going wrong. Things are going bad. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about revolution. Yeah. And we're we're probably in the midst of one. That's one of the beauties of this podcast yeah. is it spans time and space. So people right now are like, there what's going to happen? And then yeah. people later are like, oh, let's go back to hear how the revolution was yeah. from the inside. But you've been interested in revolution for a little bit longer than um, this current uh, Black yeah. Lives Matter protest movement has really just ignited um, in this country. I have felt... You know, I I, I want to say, like, I'm not I haven't like gone to school for a particular revolution or studied like a. This a, is an uncredentialed great, podcast. Fantastic. I did not go to wizard school. Fantastic. I did a ritual fantastic. and declared myself to be a wizard. And then my beard turned white and I was like, that's my diploma. Let's go. So I, I think there is a for a lack of a of a of a genderless term that I can think of right now, a brotherhood um, that connects people who, who cry for revolution and fight for revolution throughout history, throughout time. They, they reference each other. They learn from each other. They echo each other. And I think at the heart of revolution, they all ask for the same thing, which is, Pizza. A, which is, can we have some <laughs> fucking <damn> pizza? pizza? <laughs> some fucking pizza. I, I think that there's a call. I think all a revolution is, is when a large portion of society realizes that it is worth it to potentially die than to con continue to perpetuate the system as it is. Yeah. Like as a base level, what is a revolution, right? Like it's people being like, fuck it. 
shoot me, but like this can't keep going. And in some revolutions for some society, I think it's very societal, you know, so it's what are the values of that society? And there comes a time when there is a generation that realizes that those values are no longer like the promises of those values aren't there. And so the values kind of become worthless. So it's like the com- uh, the discomfort of complacency outweighs the discomfort of disruption and like throwing everything on. Its yes. Head. Yes. Like there's a point where you're like, my roommate sucks, but whatever, I'll deal with it. And then there's a point where you're like, I'd rather get no more. Out. I will live on the streets before I fucking deal with your shit anymore, Carl. I'm out of here. Totally. A change has come. I'd rather the lease get screwed up and me like mm-hmm. have to pay than live another freaking night. It's untenable. Carl. It's untenable. And, you know, it looks differently for everyone. And in different societies, like sometimes it's a religious thing. Sometimes it's a. I mean, it, it usually it feels like it's a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Like there's no problem. There's a, there's an a, an awesome, uh, very famous, especially to podcast listeners, uh, history journalist named Dan Carlin, mm-hmm. and he has a book that he just came out with, um, that I think. Is it cool for me to say the yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you can, yeah, say, yeah, you can yeah. say the names of books. We're literate. Yeah, 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 we read. We so fuck around with there's books. There's a book that he has that he just published called "The End Is Always Near," mm. and. Uh, it's very Dan Carlin, but there's a part of it that I always think about, which is that there, there are people who get caught in like the gears of history, yeah. like ground up in the gears of history. And separately, he talks about that every society is a lens, is like a thesis statement on humanity. So, so if you'll stick with me for a second, like the Romans are a thesis statement on what happens if we, if we breed ambition. You know, other societies might be like, what happens if we decided that this was the most important thing? Mm-hmm. And they just are like, even if a society wasn't intentionally doing it, you know, a thousand years later, you can look back and think, oh, they they thought that this was the most important thing. And I think that there comes a time when there's a generation that ha- that gets caught in the gears of history testing that thesis statement. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. Because when it works, it's sort of invisible that everyone's going along with it yeah. and we don't have to question that value. But then when we get stuck in the gears, we're like, wait, what am I striving for? What am I living for? What am I fighting for? Yeah. And especially I think right now in the American moment is that there's a lot of illusions that we have been fed because we have such a high degree of comfort, even among the lower classes. Like with the internet and the pandemic thing yeah. earlier, I was saying, I was like, oh, we can get through this pandemic shelter in place moment because most people can just watch Netflix. Like, you all can, right, I'm just going to watch all of the hypnotically right. captivating content that's been produced over the last 25 years. And it's all available. And I'll just dive into that and just next they, episode it. But when that gets peeled away, then you look at your material circumstances and then you realize the other things that are awry. And I think I think that's all true. I think the Coliseum is always open now. Yeah. You know, the circuses are always going. And in in capitalism, or like Naomi Klein says it now, like corporatism that we mm-hmm. live in, like there's always a circus and the leaders don't even have to really do anything anymore to like perpetuate it and i think that something that capitalism does too is it keeps a lot of people who would be the most disenfranchised having to work as hard as they can 
to stay afloat and unable to have any time to do other things. The fatigue. The where, fatigue. Like, yeah. how am I going to go to the protest when I have to go to my second job? Which is, I think, the other thing that has set up this moment is that, one, it's an issue that's been building for hundreds of years, but has come into consciousness, yeah. really, I think, clearly since Ferguson and Trayvon Martin. But then the people who would not have had the bandwidth earlier to go out and be part of a protest are now like, my schedule is clear. Yeah. Like... Fighting police brutality is the only thing that I really need to do aside yeah. from eat food and go to the bathroom. I'm going to get sick because my job is to work at a gas station. Right. So might as well go to the protest yeah. where I actually have less of a chance of getting sick because I'm in the air and I have a mask on. And, you know, there's there a lot of revolutions in history, specifically the ones that I know the most about are the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution of like the early 20th century, mm-hmm. late, late 19th century. And those revolutions are both, there is a moment where the government is called to action and the government fails to do it. In Russia, it's a cholera outbreak. In France, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of famine. Mm-hmm. And the government fails to respond. And so the people start asking themselves questions like, well, okay, we're going to do it, yeah. right? In America, at the moment that this podcast is blipping into existence, although it, I know it continues throughout time, like there's the pandemic response has been largely controlled by the governors. So other parts of the system start to take over. And what ends up happening is that in the future, when the part that used to be like the patriarchal, like master of everything tries to take power again, people are like, screw you. You weren't here for that. Yeah. You didn't help us. And so it's like your shitty boyfriend went on vacation for a month and you're yeah. like, I'm so happy. Yeah. And then he came back and he's like, I'm going to fight with you about this. Thing. And you're like, get the fuck, get out. The fuck out of yeah. here. You didn't you're, fucking you're, weren't here. Yeah. I was sick as a dog. Right. And had to figure shit out on my own. And I got this now. I'm yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, you don't have to really question things until, until you have to question things. And, and it's not that the promise I think specifically for America, I don't think the promise of America is a bad one. I just think it like worked for specific people at a specific time. Yes. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a promise that was dangled in front of everyone, Yeah. but it's illusory. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so weird about this country is like, we still have an aristocracy. Absolutely. Like there's still an aristocracy, but we don't get to just relax and go, well, I wasn't born in the aristocracy, so I guess I'm not going to do those things. Right. The people in the aristocracy go to great pains to be like, I built myself from the ground up. Like, I'm a hustler. Like, I did yeah. this. Like, it's always funny um, when you read about celebrities these days. And I think a lot of this came from, what was it? The, like, the college scale, like admission scandal. Mm-hmm. But then when they're talking about, like, what... Um, I forget what what I don't know celebrities' names, but like Laughlin, yeah, whatever her is, kids yeah. are, whatever they're like, they were they were both like influencers, like yeah. that's what they were trying to do, and it was like, oh my god, yeah, like if you're someone that's just on Instagram and the person's not using their the last name Travolta or whatever, you're gonna be like, wow, how did this person yeah. get to be like? They must have worked so hard. They must know much so much about social media, and it's like, no, they were literally a celebrities kid that hired a PR team and then established themselves as like a five hundred thousand strong Instagram Completely. follower. And 
it's still an aristocracy. Like it's still very and the, much and that. the joke we is just don't get to see it as what it is. And the joke is sorry to interrupt to, to speak oh it's a you. podcast baby interrupting <laughs> is the name of the game. The the other you know the 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 comedy to me of all that is that even those wealthy people, they're like petite bourgeoisie compared to the billionaires that are the not just the aristocracy but like the true patricians yes and 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 i think that there's you know i mean i i think everyone would admit that there is no class solidarity and like because celebrities in america live in this like fancy magical place where they aren't the wealthiest people in the country in fact they don't have very much power at all Mm -hmm. you know but they are the almost like public facing people for the wealthy or of mobility it's like this of, lottery of mobility idea. yes and, you know yes. to speak more that's specifically exactly about it. african-american culture for right. a long time that's been the thing of like well look you can do anything you could be michael oh jordan gosh. or you could be kanye yeah. west like look at this mobility you can be one of the five black people who made it out of their class like it's to me it's the the glorifying of the exception Yes. That makes us forget that it's a fucking exception and that's bad. We shouldn't be glorifying the one black president that we had. We should be upset that we've only had one black president. You know, like that's, yeah. Well, so I think it's um XKCD, is that the name of that like the online car- comic? The car- the comic yeah. yeah. And there's one about survivorship bias where this guy is like on stage and he's like, Everyone told me that it was a dumb idea to buy lottery tickets, but I didn't listen to them, and I just kept buying. And no matter how, I kept losing, and everyone kept telling me this was so dumb, but I kept buying them. And now I won a million dollars, and look where I am today. Yeah, and you can be like me, too. And you can be like me, (laughs) too. And I think there's so many industries that have that where it's like, oh, I'm going to be a Twitter comedian, and I'm going to make my break because this one guy I know got like a late-night TV writing job from that. And it's like, yeah, but how many people were trying to be funny on Twitter and didn't get that? Yeah. Like you can see mobility when it's like, oh, I can go get trained and do that job and then I can go buy a house and I can have this sort of existence that's available to everyone. But a lottery is like you're going to put yourself in a pen and go through all of the sacrifice and struggle with the hope that you're the one person holding the golden ticket. And it is a lottery. Like I think capitalism allows for some people to be sort of touched by capital and allowed to enter. You know, I, my mom lied about my, I mean, I don't think she'll get in trouble for this anymore, but she lied about my address when I was a kid and I got zoned to a better schooling district Mm. and that changed my entire life. Yeah. You know, but if I hadn't, it would have really narrowed my resources and really narrowed just like the amount of people that I was able to bump into. Or like my mom did this thing where she, you know, she got me into really fancy acting classes to the real detriment financially of the rest of the family. Doing so, though, put me adjacent to wealthier people, and that changed my whole life. Mm-hmm. Being wealthy adjacent was a, a profitable gamble that my mom t- took, but that for a long time took me away from Latino culture or Latinx culture mm-hmm. for a long time. That took me away from my neighborhood. You know, I literally had to go to another planet yeah and now thankfully it's almost profitable to merge my like identities and now i'm in this super confused like what am i who am i kind of situation but but my mom you know exploited a situation in order to get me that lotto ticket i didn't even have that lotto ticket to begin with and but everyone in my neighborhood thinks that they do 
or mm-hmm. the neighborhood as it was when I grew up. This is in Queens. This is in Queens, yeah. Rich, Richmond Hill, Queens, which is a a very different place than it was when I grew up, and was a different place like every ten years. That's New York for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like between the airport. Everything and the city. changes except for the dollar pizza. Everything changes except for the dollar pizza, and that's why dollar pizza is magical. Yeah, I think that like specifically in America, to me, a revolution will come because the the pooling of power and resources shows no sign of stopping to me the power of celebrity at a certain age is clear mm-hmm. and and you kind of you know especially after this like a mat a mat the imagine video that they put out like it was such a clear example when these celebrities put out a video of them singing uh, john lennon's imagine so yeah this was a moment early in the pandemic yeah. when i think it was gal gadot yeah. organized a bunch of celebrities and put out this video which you know, bless their hearts, very well-intentioned, but so tone-deaf. And yeah. also, I think, had the very surreal effect of destroying the notion of celebrity. Correct. Because Correct. you just realize that, oh, we all have camera phones and we all have laptop cameras. And there's a whole bunch of people who have been on YouTube figuring out how to look good on these things. And celebrities haven't because they're used to a machine that does all of that for them. And when you strip that away and you watch Jimmy Fallon at home, you realize 99% of what you watch on The Tonight Show is the glitz. It's not the content. It's just the glitz. And the thing that really, I think, I mean, to speak to my, for myself, like the thing that upset me was a, the, the, I mean, obviously it was so tone deaf. People were like getting ready to say goodbye to their grandparents because of COVID, but also like, the mansions that they were singing you know solidarity from uh, the the like we're all in this together let me just go to the other side of my the other wing of my house and i have i have a a lot of friends uh in, in all kinds of classes i don't think that anyone is necessarily a bad person and i don't think that you know i've been saying a lot of like in my own personal life like all cops are are bastards and like eat the rich I love the rich people that I know and I, I have cops in my family and I think they're great, great, fantastic people. I think the position of a police officer makes you a bastard just Mm -hmm. based on like the, the things it requires police to do. Well, so Foucault talked about how power structures create subjectivities. And Mm -hmm. I've seen this even in just, uh, corporate environments that I've been in. So I was in a customer service department and no one wants to do the basic customer service job because you're just answering emails from customers that are like, I can't get this thing to work. And so no one wants to do that. Everyone wants to advance. No one's dream was like, I went to, I got a, like a associate's degree in customer service. I'm really excited (laughs) about being a customer service person. Um, And so it's a whole department where everyone is someone who was like pursuing some other dream, fell into this and now is like, how do I get out of the queue? How do I get out Mm -hmm. of the thing where I'm just answering the basic questions? And at some point they're like, oh, well, we have to have this meeting every week. And it's kind of a pain in the butt for the managers to have to like organize the slides and get all the things together. So we need a meeting coordinator. And the first meeting coordinator was just the person they're like, uh, you've been here for a minute. Yeah, you do it. Yeah, Timothy, you're, you're the meeting coordinator now. And then when that person left, They needed a new meeting coordinator. And so now you have the whole field of candidates of all the people that want it. And they chose the most suck up y, like go gettery, teacher's pet kind of person who then took it insanely seriously, which then set a bar for like, 
well, if that's how that person treated the meeting coordinator role, like the next replacement is going to have to fit that yeah. mold. Yeah. And so somebody who might have had a tendency to be a little bit like teacher's pet, like I'm going to take the, the small hall monitor thing like really seriously that just becomes enshrined in this role. And with the police, you have an entire right. system that is picking the people who feel a thirst for power and authority because they haven't gotten and they need to take out that urge in some way. I think there's probably some glaze of like, oh, I want to like rescue kittens from trees and like help the community. But I think the, the well, desire to have some power and uniform and, and control. And they're not asked to do those things, right? Like the thing is that like, police i think the idea of like abolishing police and all that stuff is at least at this very moment in 2020 uh a radical notion i think that most mm-hmm. people think but the the actual as i understand it i don't want to speak for the activists who are like really entrenched in it and and study it but like what i understand it to be is that the role of police is too dense it requires too much of any one person and like you're saying, it ha- there's a selection bias for a type of person who's willing to take on a thousand jobs and power and have a gun around their, their waist. The police are a hammer, and so we see every problem as yeah. a nail, and we're continuously picking people with huge biceps that are really good who at swinging be hammers. hammers. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the also, and this ties into the revolution thing, which is there's a notion that police have been around forever. Most societies that have existed throughout time had no police officers. America had no police officers at some point. You know, like, police are an invention. They're new. Having a a force of armed citizens is, like, not a a tradition of humanity. Right. You know, and to even suggest that there is a tradition of humanity is crazy and very Western-centric. Because there was, like, royal guards and things like that. I mean, there have always been... There's always always been people who are rich in terms of having most of the resources needing protection. Yeah. But, like... There, I mean, even in in most of ancient Rome, there's a, I think, I may be pronouncing it wrong, the primarium is a line around the city from which... Perineum. Perineum. From which no... Sold, no, that's the know, thing between your balls and your oh, ball. Oh, well, you know. Yeah. Perineum. still important. Yeah. There's always a barrier. The, the, perineum, the perineum guard. <laughs> the perineum guard, where, like, you're not supposed to enter the city with any weapons. Like, there, there have been societies that have found solutions to conflict resolution. And I understand this weapon systems have changed and terrorism and all that stuff. I understand that. But like there, that's not what the police brutality isn't. Oh, they really beat up that terrorist. We really hated. It's like beating up a kid who plays the violin, you know, to sheltered cats, you know, it's beating up a, a, a black girl at a pool party. Mm-hmm. So clearly the police, is adequate for a certain response to a certain problem but they're not facing those problems they're facing like everyday citizens and the the reason i say that it ties into revolution is that i think that the particulars for revolution are different because people truly have lived under completely different systems systems that value things that we think may be abhorrent right now which is to say that humans throughout time have proved adaptable, can believe in anything, mm-hmm. can die for causes that we now today like make Disney movies out of. Right. You know, Hercules and like, but those gods were real to someone and people died for them. And you can keep going back and finding more and more and more examples of like completely capitalism is a new thing. 
you know, corporatism is a really new thing. You know, things weren't always this way. Even humanism is the one that I think we often overlook as that's yeah. the sort of like baseline. And even that's a even that's thing. An, an, that was the thing that kind of led to the American Revolution. It's, yeah. In, in, in some ways. Yeah. There's a lot of economic factors. There and as and, well. and, and it, it's an unusual thing if you compare it to the rest of society that we during recording this podcast have experienced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but that all being said, there have always been revolutions. And those revolutions, I think, happen because no matter what the math is, if enough people are suffering and only a few are benefiting, like that math is is so universal. It's like a weird societal entropy that happens. Like we all start with this thesis statement and then like throughout time, like there's a dissonance between like the people and what they were promised. It happens all the time. If your country is around long enough, it will happen. It's so pompous for America to think that it won't happen. Well, so I, here's my question is because I, I wonder if in the past there was less, um, less margin. Like if you're Mm. a peasant in a society and you're barely making your sustenance and then something starts going wrong and then you're not making your sustenance. Yeah. Like you, you're out of options. Like you got to do something. Whereas I wonder if now there's more, are you familiar with the shifting baseline? Give me more. Oh, so like, um, so we go outside and we go for a walk in nature around a park Mm -hmm. and we're like, Oh, I saw like two geese and three squirrels. Like I totally saw some nature. Like what a lovely walk around the park. And we don't know that a hundred years ago you would have seen flocks Mm. of birds and all of this other stuff happening because we grew up and each generation that grows up sees a different view. And so things can change, you know, over the scale of time. But for us, we're only comparing a little bit back. So it doesn't seem that bad. And so I wonder if it's the kind of thing where because we're still checking those boxes of material comfort. Like someone who's broke can still, I mean, there's, you know, there's plenty of food um, scarcity and food deserts and poverty and things like that. But I mean, a food desert is a great example where you're not, not getting bread and then you're in revolution. Right. You're only getting shitty food that you can buy from a corner store because there's no grocery stores around you and you can't afford anything better. And so it sucks, but it's just not as extreme. And then you get used to it. And then suddenly two generations down the line, you're like, Oh, well, this is the food that my family grew up with. So this is just fine rather than someone being like, Oh my God, like your great grandparents would look at your table and be like, this is not food. Like what, like you should, you should revolt. I think it's a question of like, you know, in like, for example, like I'm reading uh, the uh, People's Tragedy, which is about the Russian Revolution right now. And like they're, you know, sometimes you might appease the peasants and give them what they want, but they're still peasants. Yeah. And I think that the the fascinating thing is this thinking that that's the solution. And like my hope is anyone listening to this podcast in 10,000 years, we've realized a place where that cycle doesn't continue because the cycle is like appease the people who might revolt, but you don't lift them from their place. You just appease them. You know, you just like, um, yeah, you just give them enough. Like there was a, there's a lot of, um, there's a beautiful book called March of Folly by Barbara Tuckman, who's like one of my favorite historians. And she writes about how the American revolution, um, March of Folly is this book about, folly like government folly Mm -hmm. 
why do pe- why do entire governments whoopsie doodles whoopsie do i think the, the technical term is oopsies oopsies yeah and um and there's this fascinating thing about about america her framing of it is that the british are really just for such a long time being like they totally make sense they totally have a good argument but we can't just let a colony tell us what to do that would that would disrupt everything mm-hmm. and so they march on towards their folly where they come to a point where the country is in revolution yeah in revolt and this is a tangent but it's one of my favorite tangents which is that no one talks about how the american revolution is really like what does the american revolution result in it actually results in the leader of the revolutionary army becoming the leader of the country so we have a military leader is our first president Mm -hmm. and only for the the grace of something in george washington and i think people who've read his several biographies would probably say the utter sheer boredom and and panic and self-loathing that George Washington has, he ends up not wanting to continue to rule. But this country had a revolution, put in a military leader. They could have just had a new king. We could have just had an autocracy. Yeah. You know, we, he could have continued. He If he had ruled forever, then how many presidents would we have? Would we have had, you know, this many or would we have had... 12 or 13 you know yeah. like it's would we have thought that if there was a president that we didn't like in charge enough that killing him was the only way to get rid of him would we have had m- monarchy problems well, the peaceful transfer of power is right. the, the core the cornerstone of a democracy right right the peaceful transfer of power and that that's only that's foreshadowing ha- for, <laughs> for, for this year <laughs> but you know like it's it's only because of the grace of this one gentleman whatever that grace came from that that we don't have a tradition of military autocracy in mm-hmm. America to me the revolution being a success or a failure like hinges on that dude waking up one day and being like no I'm not going to run again yeah you know and so even the the illusion of this great american revolution where all men were you know all white men were uh, absolved of their need to be taxed by another white guy Mm. you know and now can like kill all the indigenous people and take over the frontier like i don't even know really what the dream was but like that promise is like bs if it wasn't for some founding fathers who decided that they were like a little too old to keep ruling you know and so to me it's like revolution is like this nat this this natural force it's like a hurricane like if you or more sorry i'm going on so many tangents but really there there's a there's a locusts (laughs) are just grasshoppers Mm -hmm. right that if they reach critical mass yeah if a listener doesn't, doesn't know what we know now is that grasshoppers in certain environmental situations where there isn't enough food and there's overpopulation start to uh, act differently, behave differently, change in different ways, and become locusts. And then they take off and they and they do the damages that locusts famously do. And I think that revolution is the same for people. And so it's not a question of like, you know, what do we do afterwards? Or some people have written to me online like, oh, you can't ask the system to be taken away if you don't have a replacement and all that stuff. I think it's all bullshit. I don't think that's the conversation. It's like, how do we stop locusts from being born? Mm-hmm. How do we stop people from feeling so 
surrounded that they have nothing but to take their family and and go off in in search of food so i'm going to ask you a complicated question yeah which is one what do you think are the tipping point factors that move a population to like like let's just be very specific about like america now yeah where there is so much of baseline comfort like you can be pretty poor and still have a big screen tv like yeah yeah you know like you like there's still this baseline comfort but you can be so oppressed in all these other ways so like what do you think are the tipping point factors and how do you think those vary by group because we just saw this very clear portrayal of that where there were people that were out with guns protesting against the authoritarian overreach of trying to control the pandemic. And then oftentimes those are the same people who are critiquing and questioning black Americans taking to the streets without guns to protest being murdered by the police. And they're like, well, you should just listen to authority and then you wouldn't have this problem. So with the fractionated view of reality that we have, what do you think is going to be the thing that moves this forward because i think i think the whole civil unrest we're having right now is largely because the pandemic disrupted business as usual right right like it's it's close down the circus it closed on the circus i think you know it's funny because i think and this is a the broadest overgeneralization that i can possibly make lay it on me both sides are complaining about the same thing they're both complaining about a government that doesn't rule with the consent of the people anymore mm. they're both complaining about you know it's not like trump won this sweeping victory and it's not like whoever you know it's not like any officials are being swept into office there's a war in every district and it's because the nuances are different because you and i might suffer in different ways but i don't think that anyone feels represented by the government below a certain economic status like the constituencies of our government the constituents are the hyper wealthy Mm -hmm. and that's not a knock on the personal like like souls of the hyper wealthy it is just a fact that if i have more if i have if my net worth is a percentage of the country's gdp when i say something the country has to listen right it doesn't have a choice so the wealth disparity is more extreme now than it's ever been ever been ever ever but then the the peasants the lowest class are not quite peasants. Are not quite peasants. Where it's it's very weird because it's like you have more of this like idiocracy thing or, of like or, or there aren't the people who truly are peasants. There aren't they aren't as populous. Yes, and and that's true. I do think that like you know like yeah like capitalism has done a lot and and obviously in a lot of countries it's raised whatever mix of of capitalism with their native government that they're comfortable with has lifted a lot of people out of poverty, for sure. Mm-hmm what I don't understand is the argument that that should be like the end. Yeah. You know why? Oh, well like you aren't poor or someone commented to something that I wrote and said that black people in other countries are doing worse. So these black people should be, you know, or uh, black indigenous people of color should be like happy. And like that, it just, that, that doesn't to me like that, if I said that to myself in a mirror, like would just fall apart as a, as a way of living, I'd be like, what? like, I can't like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think a tipping point, I have a short term and a long term theory. Like the long term theory is there, there, I think there needs to be one more like crisis. Mm-hmm. 
I think that the pandemic getting worse or a, a true, true, like autocratic step crossing the Rubicon kind of situation. I think those are the kind of things that like make it so that people realize that their terrible situation now is going to be the future situation. So everyone, you know, uh, unemployment is running out as we record this, the pandemic, uh, health, uh, help uh, assistance is going to run out. Mm -hmm. Rents are going to be due. Yes. Mortgages are going to be due. The bankruptcies and all of that is coming. The eviction protections are done. Right now, the IRS is not going after anyone. That's going to be done. All those protections are going to be done. And that there's going to be a cliff. And there's an election. And that's all fine. But what I think people won't be fine with is if they think that that's just how it's going to be now. Mm. You know, it's like I can sleep in my car for a night. But if you told me, now I'm just going to sleep in my car until we figure things out. That would weigh very heavy on my conscious. I mean, it is weighing on my conscious as a person now to think that like, like I work in the film industry and like, we're not sure how we're going to be making movies. You know, what is an indie film now? Like, do I need like a COVID like medic, like a specific, you know, like. It's a unifying thing. Because we talked about like, like there used to be an aristocracy and a peasant class yeah. and the peasant class is way way larger and the aristocracy had more still not the wealth gap that we have now but you know quite extreme but there was some sort of unified identity among the peasant class of like yeah we're, we're the ones out in the fields and yeah. they're the ones yeah. uh, uh in the in the mansions and now i think it's kind of fractured this landscape where there's so many us versus them there's the the republican view of it's us god-fearing white americans that need to protect our traditions in our country or us from who understand economics better sure right like yeah and then there's so much division on the other side of like well which leftist approach is the right approach and how you know how do we navigate all of that and so i think one of the things the pandemic does is like you talked about someone sleeping in their car and suddenly it goes from there's a small, completely disenfranchised homeless population that has been pushed into that through oppressive and awful systemic, you know, causes, but doesn't have much left to like agitate around. And then suddenly those camps swell and there's people who are like, Oh, I don't identify as a homeless person. I haven't like, you know, yeah. fallen into this through my own series of personal misfortunes. I had a house and a job in early 2020 and yeah. now I don't. And somebody else goes, me too. And somebody else goes, me too. And they're like, well, fuck this shit. And then you suddenly have a, a unified mob that can, you know, I, I, it's also like, I don't want to pretend to, to know what it'll be, but in, oh yeah, that's, that's my job. That's, that's your job. <laughs> yeah. But like in a lot of revolutions, there is a tipping point so what I what I see as a pattern, historians, please email me with yeah. corrections. Also, I would love to be your friends. But like what I see as a pattern is revolutions happen in two little blips. There is a thing that happens. Usually it's a government action. People revolt. They get put down. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. In Russia, I think that happens in like in Bloody Sunday, I think it's like 1905. And then there's, yeah. yeah, then there's not another revolution until like night, like later on, like 19, like during world war one. So like 1914, 1917, Mm -hmm. um, sorry in France, there's, there are blips, there are like mini riots and then, you know, and there's like the storming towards, uh, like women storm the 
Tuileries Palace, and then there's the Bastille. I so, and in a lot of these revolutions, it's one thing. It's 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 even around a person, an individual. Like Tunisia, there's that like there's a food guy who like sets himself on fire. Yeah. The guy who sells food. There's you know, there's sometimes like a a person. You know, in America, we have legendary moments like the yeah. Boston Tea Party or like the Redcoats shooting, and mm-hmm. like we have these like moments that we pin as flags. I don't know what it'll be in America. I don't know if it'll be the most empathetic, sympathetic black person being shot. I don't know because Elijah, I forget his name, which is terrible, but um, that, that poor boy who we're we're finding out was shot a year ago who played the violin to straight cats. And, Mm. you know, is an incredibly empathetic figure. There's no riot. There's no riots right now. There's no revolution. So I don't know if it's that, I don't know if it's, I don't know how it'll well, come. One lays the groundwork of the next. I think that's the interesting mm. thing is like in this current moment, you have both the pandemic setting the stage, but you also have all of the history, you know, one, all of the yeah. history of the black power and the black liberation movement, but then also the modern history of black lives matter that like kept, kept surfacing, but didn't yeah. go away. Yeah. Like yeah. when Ferguson or Trayvon Martin or any of these other things happen and there were these flashpoints, there was a bunch of people who went from saying, wow, this really sucks to going, no, I'm going to organize. Right. I'm going to talk to other people right. about it. And then when the media moves on and there's not people like, you know, burning targets, it's still happening. It's Those still people happening. are still aware of it. And then when the next time it happens, there's an infrastructure that's yes. that's now part of the rising up. It's and, not just random. And that's happening more and more. And, that, and that's why the second, I always think that the revolutions happen in these two burps. Mm-hmm. Because the first one is, can we can we topple the government? And the government says no. And usually puts it down really, really yeah horrendously with like police police brutality or whatever equivalent of the police that there is in that society and then the second blip happens and the costs of failing that first revolution is so great that that second one doesn't fail and to me i was very worried when the protests uh for black lives matter happened uh and we're hitting a peak that when trump started calling down the military i was worried because i think the military and police are one of those like bingo cards for revolution. Mm -hmm. You know, if the military is called to do something to the population in a lot of countries, they will decide to side with the police or side with the people. Yeah. And that is a thing that happens in many revolutions because the army is the final barrier. Or also it's the alternate consolidated network of power which is i think what you know like what we saw ultimately happened in in egypt where correct the people started the revolution and then the military is like well we're more organized than you and we're gonna we'll decide take it the outcome. yes yeah. yeah and yeah we'll blow you to smithereens or we'll fight the cops yeah right and in america the military is is you know swears an oath to the constitution mm-hmm. um which i think in america and constitutional experts please feel free i took a constitutional law course in high school so correct me if i'm wrong but like in america i think that that's interesting because then does the military fight a revolution to uphold the constitution or does it perceive the constitution as a contract with the people and help the people you know what what happens in the situation and it's up to like a couple of generals and honestly it's up to a couple of soldiers who decide whether to listen to a command or not in russia they don't in 1917 you know they decide not to listen and whole brigades revolts and you know the navy revolts and and that those are the things that really scare the government so that brings me to my final question and then we'll talk about a spell but do you think 
in general, revolutions lead to positive outcomes? And do you think an Amer a second American revolution would lead to mm. a better system or some group would seize power that would be even more authoritarian and awful when everyone's scared and it's just like, oh my God, let's have Netflix come back. My, uh, I, I think that, I think that revolutions eventually lead to better societies because I think the difference between a coup and a revolution is one is a small constituency of power people mm -hmm. taking over power and changing a system. And one is the people that that system is supposed to serve. I do absolutely think that revolutions are co-opted by people in power, but eventually they do create questions that for at least a couple generations, people stop asking, do people deserve rights? You know, we stop asking yeah. those questions. We're like, of course they do. I think an Ameri a second American revolution would be, you know, my idealistic mind is like America is formed on such beautiful humanitarian ideals that like laid over the top of a laid over the top, <laughs> top of, of an like Indian burial ground, Indian burial ground and black bodies and yeah. like, you know, you know, and, 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 and on top of Mexico. Yeah. You know, like I think that ghosts, all, yeah, just ghosts, just ghosts all the way down. I think if we want to honor the promise of America, I think a lot of people have to remember that we are the the ancestors of revolutionaries. Yeah. And 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 honestly like honor the faults of those revolutionary fathers by by taking the essence of what they meant and forgetting the the shit and and personalities of what they are. Mm -hmm. When they say all men are created equal, we know what they meant. Yeah. They meant white guys who own land. But they made the mistake of being so altruistic sounding yeah. that we get to believe in that. And I think that, you know, an American revolution, we have a choice. Like, like I think we can, same as climate change, like we can decide to live. Global warming. Global warming. Yeah. We can decide to live in 2050 with, you know, like half of New York underwater. Or we can decide to try to do something about it. I think we can decide on an incredibly violent revolution that leaves some autocrat to take power for a while, or we can decide to like defund the fucking police and vote certain people into office and, and change, like look at voting and look at why some communities are underserved and like ask questions that will pull power away from people. But like we get to demand those things. Revolution doesn't have to be pikes like heads on pikes. Revolution can be, just a rethinking of the system. So you said something a moment ago that was, I think you misspoke, but I, I love it and I'm not trying yeah. to critique you for that, but you said we are the ancestors of revolutionaries. I think you meant descendants, but I really yes, like that yes. idea of we are the ancestors of revolutionaries yes. because I think that's one of the things I see happening right now and like you brought up Dan Carlin earlier with like the end is always near yeah. is there's this moment right now where people are like, I can't have kids because the world is fucked right. and blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. But like, I think one of the things that I get a lot of joy out of as a avid science fiction reader is extending that horizon of, yeah, like there could be a devastating revolution that sends us into yeah. a tailspin for a while, but then out of the ashes of that, 
a new and better society emerges that is the eco-utopia that we're fantasizing about. We just don't get to live it because it's not going to happen for a while. Yeah, there, there's, like, there's, it, there's a thing that Dan Carlin also says along with all that stuff, which is that, you know, which is that there that society does move forward. Like yeah. the only reason that we get to have this conversation about like capitalism makes us com- complacent is, is because progress is made yeah. throughout hum- humanity. I think that something that he says that sticks with me is that oftentimes there is a generation that pays the toll. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, when I first heard that it was before all this and I thought to myself, I hope that we're not the generation that has to pay the toll. But then now I think to myself that if every generation thinks that way, yeah, they're just passing the buck. Yeah. We're, we're just stuck in traffic. Right. I think that maybe paying the toll is like the most beautiful thing that you can do as someone's future ancestor. You know, we, we idolize the parent who came over and brought our families over, you know, we idolize the Ukrainian immigrant who came over, you know, we idolize, I, I idolize my sh- fucking asshole grandfather but because he brought us over here you know and well leading a life that has a clear distinction between beginning and end yeah like we could be the generation that is like oh you remember like what pizza hut was like in the 90s and like you know like all of these things you remember drive-throughs yeah and then we're the ones telling those stories around a campfire because there's no electricity anymore because shit went fucking crazy when we were 40 yeah so <laughs> What's our spell? Well, I want it to be empowering. Yes. I don't want it to make people feel not hopeless and not even like hopeful, but like that they are in a revolution. Yes. That they can make change. And I talked to the lawyers for the podcast and you can't say it's kill a cop. That's that's not uh, allowed. Okay, that's, okay, that's okay, okay, okay. Not an okay spell according to my legal team. Okay, okay, okay. Um we can make a spell about I think billionaires shouldn't exist. <laughs> I think that rich people should be there. Fine. Let, yeah. let people be rich. But like, you know, a billion dollars is just more money than I actually do think anyone deserves. I don't think humans are good enough to earn a billion dollars but for the people who don't i mean if anyone that's listening has a billion dollars like get rid of it if you have a billion dollars like question you know if you need a billion (laughs) i I hate to break it to you but i think my podcast listener demographics are not really uh, also please continue to invest in my art but i'm just saying you know invest so much that maybe but for the rest of the the non-billionaires what can we do to you know like all put our finger against the thing and topple it over together I think we should be willing to ask what we can do for the people who aren't as happy as us. Yeah. I think that like, we should ask like, can I take that weight from you? Mm. Like, can I help you with, or or maybe, you know what? Maybe it's just like taking on the reality of people you know, a, a lot of with this Black Lives Matters movement, a lot of people, a lot of their critiques are like so funny to me because it's like, man, like you don't live in, in, in these in these worlds. So a lot of the problems that people are saying exist, you think don't. Right. 
and how magical would it be if we could all like experience each other's realities? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the discrepancies. Would well, it's be like, so it's clear. the classic nice dude problem of like, well, I'm a nice dude. I've never fucking sexually I've harassed somebody harassed in, a, in a break room when no one was around. That doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're not there when that happens. And, and, and Nick is so nice to me. I can't believe that yeah. he would ever do that kind the, of a thing. The cops in suburban Massachusetts are so pleasant and helpful when they come to our town parade. I know that when, I felt uncomfortable and called the cops. They helped me. I mean, you know, my daughter would never tell me by the time that well, she called them and they didn't help her, but <laughs> a spell can also be symbolic. So let's, you know, let's maybe get a little bit more artistic with this of like, you know, like, do you think that we should actively be moving towards revolution and what? So let's just, Ooh. yes. I yes. Do. Okay. So, all right, so all right. it's going to happen. Yeah. And so what can we do? Maybe if it's not, you know, like, I don't think everyone, is going to go, you know, pull over and <laughs> yeah, yeah, say yeah, like, excuse yeah. me, you seem more oppressed than I am. Can I carry your groceries yeah, for you? Yeah. That's a very nice idea. You <laughs> should obviously nice carry idea. someone's groceries if they seem like they're having yeah. a hard time. And you should be, you know, I mean, like, I think there's an overwhelm factor right now with like, who do I donate to? What am I supposed to read? Like, does it matter if I'm at this protest? There was thousands of people at the protest. Like, is it just, you know, can I stay home? Yeah. Um, but like, how do you think we can kind of commit to this idea and maybe foment the idea of revolution a little bit more modern revolutions have like a, a symbol yeah like the tricolor in france and like a lot of them have like this like one thing so maybe it's like a pizza it's a freaking pizza <laughs> yeah maybe it's like a yeah maybe it's like a pizza with all the toppings <laughs> <laughs> It, the, the pizza thing made me think about this Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, I went to a pizza place and they gave me a slice of pizza. If the, if the pizza pie had been a pie chart of what would you do if you won a million dollars? They gave me the slice that said, give it away to charity. I want the slice that says, keep it. And I think that's the thing right now is yeah. that like we're arguing like, you know, like groups are arguing like, well, you have that much crust and we have that much crust. And it's like, motherfuckers, somebody else is eating 99% of the pie. Yeah. Someone's like, eating most of the pizza. I think. Uh, buy a slice of pizza for someone that you think deserves buy, it. Buy a slice of pizza for someone that you think deserves it. And if it's if it's you that needs a pizza, buy yourself a pizza. Yeah. I think. Give I'm, me I'm like, gonna, like what what like what do the spells feel like? Like what are they like? No, we're, we're part of it. It's workshop and it's we're on the right track. Okay, okay. So I think it shouldn't be for you. I think you know anyone that's listening to this. I think like get a pizza for someone. Get a pizza for someone. Yeah. Get a pizza for someone that deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be you know like if you want to do something that's more hardcore, like if you know someone that actually is being you know in a really rough situation you can help them more like please you know, yeah yeah and help that. them get like healthier but food i think pizza. you know that idea of like like in you know we're both former new yorkers yeah. and there's so many times that you literally walk by the homeless guy that is looking for food and it's gonna take five minutes out of your day to go walk and buy a dollar slice and then drop it off to that person and so i think that opportunity is going to arise for everyone in the next week of you listening to the podcast. Like there is a moment. And so a dollar slice is just a metaphor. It's just a symbol. I mean, we'll have flags with a burning pizza slice available for sale on the website. Uh, but I want that. Shirt. For right, oh yeah. Yeah. But for right now, I think it's about 
what is that equivalent of buying someone a slice of pizza? I think what I is think, that act of kindness that you can do that creates solidarity and creates connection and helps create the links that will give us a unified body for when the rupturing occurs and we need to be able to move as one to pounce upon our uh, oppressors and rub that fucking hot greasy slice in their face. I think maybe it's. Because the only thing with the pizza and with giving a pizza to a person in need, I, I like it because I think that we're all together. Yeah. Right. And it's why the French Revolution, they call each other citizens and they call each other comrades in other places and we're all together. However, I, I always am worried about individualizing community problems mm-hmm. and saying that it's my job to even give a pizza to a homeless person right. when really my job is that, but also to question why I'm okay with there even being a homeless person, right? Like my pizza for that homeless person is just me making up for a failed system that isn't helping totally, that person. Totally. Um, and so, you know, that's the only thing with the pizza spell of giving a slice, but maybe it's, maybe it's like, Hmm hard it feels like a very powerful spell i think that's why it's taking me a second to think of it i was thinking of something like that people can do every like 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 before bed or like in the morning Mm -hmm. like looking in the mirror while you're you're flossing and i say that to encourage better dental behavior in everyone and like maybe it's like saying with like a mouthful of like toothpaste that I don't know like you take care of all your teeth Mm -hmm. you don't just brush the ones that like you like yeah and if one of your teeth has like a cavity you take all your teeth to the dentist so maybe it's like you only you only drill the the cavity that's true people don't really take care of their teeth if we took care of everyone like we took care of our teeth, and I mean, things would just be like they are now. No, help me out here, wizard. Well, I was thinking that, like, you know, because I, I love that you brought up pizza as the magic word, and it doesn't have to be the defining element of the spell, but I think there's the one, there's like two sides of it. And so maybe this is just, you know, this is just a thought exercise yeah, for everybody yeah, yeah. To, to do, but, you know, to cut out a circle of paper. Yeah, let's I mean, let's make it easy. Uh, let's be a little uh-huh, artist and crafty. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And literally on one side, think about what can you give? Like, what do you have that you can give to somebody else? What is it that you have to offer? And this can be abstract. This could be time. This could be money. Like, you could be like, I don't have time to fucking go to a march, but I can donate 20 bucks a month to a cause oh. or something like that. And so that's one side of the coin. And then the other side is, what are you willing to sacrifice? Like, what are you willing to give up then you're you know gonna say like i not that you have to like immediately like cut your cable or anything but if you're preparing your mind for the idea of revolution you need to stop clinging to the creature comforts that have you know been the day in and day out Ooh, maybe it's maybe it's draw a circle Uh uh-huh cut it into four yeah four slices of pizza big thick not really new york slices but like you know anywhere else new york style and one pie is what you're willing to give 
to society for the revolution. Mm -hmm. Right. And that can be like this, like you said, like the sacrifices you're willing to make. Yeah. One pie can be what you want to see from a revolution. Yeah. Which is like, why are you, why you're in this? One pie, one slice of the pie can be what you're willing to do for the revolution. And one slice of pie can be what you're not willing to give up. Because I think that will be what protects us from the revolution being co-opted. I love it. Yeah. So repeat it. So it's... So one slice is what you're willing to sacrifice for the revolution. Sacrifice. What do you want to see? What What are you going to do? do? And what do you want to keep? What's... Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Awesome. Four slices of pizza. Thank you, Felipe. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Devin. For more of Felipe's work, visit mythologypictures.com. That's mythology with an I-E at the end, not a Y. And for more of this podcast as a ritual, well, friends, this podcast is a ritual, and we are participating in it together. And right now, I would love your thoughts on how we should steer this ritual as the world changes around us, and we need to work our magic to make things more than just slightly better. This is a very unique moment in time, and I feel like we have both an opportunity and a responsibility to be a part of this change. So let me know what you'd like to hear on this podcast. How can this podcast do a better job of supporting this movement? What guests do you want to hear from, whether that's a general notion or a specific person? What kind of content can I make for you that will help your reality become slightly better in this time. Give us a call at 860-415-6009 and leave a message for the Wizard Hotline or just email me at personisawake at gmail.com. Let me know what's going on with you and what you'd like this podcast to do. I'm personally just working to get ramped up, trying to figure out how to do remote interviews and start bringing guests back into the fold, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, as together, we make some real magic.